1: In the 3rd century BCE, construction began on what is now considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Pharos of Alexandria. A lighthouse built to safely guide ships into port under the dark of night. For centuries, this structure, estimated to reach the height of 330 feet, was one of the tallest man made structures in the world, utilizing a firelit platform at its apex. Over the following centuries, numerous cultures built similar structures, and as international trade routes expanded and sea travel became more prominent, they became an essential part of maritime navigation. Of course, with its long stretches of shorelines, the United States has become home to more lighthouses than any other country. firelit beacons that were essential to settlement and trade started appearing on North American shores as early as the mid-16th century, evolving over time into the beautiful and fascinating lighthouse system that is still used today. Prior to the modernization and electrification of these structures, the job of keeping early firelit towers operational was not only demanding, but often dangerous. And as a result, numerous lighthouses were home to tragedy and loss. One such lighthouse resides in one of America's oldest surviving cities. St. Augustine, Florida, and one of the earliest North American ports. But many believe this structure is also home to numerous spirits, some of which might possibly be the men who gave their lives to keeping America's shoreline illuminated. My name is Brandon Schecksnyder, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. In July of 1565, Spanish admiral and explorer Pedro Menendez de Aviles set sail for the colony of Florida with 11 ships and 2,000 soldiers. Angered that the French had also attempted to claim Florida, King Philip II of Spain charged Menendez with the mission to destroy the French outpost of Fort Caroline near present-day Jacksonville expel the Huguenot Protestants, and establish new fortified settlements along the coast to protect their land holdings. By August 28th, the feast day of Catholic St. Augustine, Menendez and his men had arrived. As a result, his new coastal settlement, built on the site of the former Timaqua village of Saloy, was christened with the name St. Augustine. But the French prepared to thwart the attempts to expel them. And on September 10th, French naval officer and founder of Fort Caroline, Jean Ribot set sail for St. Augustine in a preemptive offensive assault. However, a violent hurricane intervened, ravaging the French fleet, who were soon shipwrecked on the Florida coast, south of St. Augustine, near present day Daytona Beach. Menendez saw opportunity in this misfortune, taking his men on a march overland for a surprise attack on the now meagerly defended Fort Caroline garrison, whose population of only several hundred was protected by a mere 20 soldiers who Ribault had left behind. The result was devastating the Spanish were easily able to capture the fort and in the process killed almost everyone, sparing only the women and children who they sent south to Havana. Then, after being informed by the native Timucuans that a group of white men had been sighted south of St. Augustine, Menendez turned his attention to the survivors of Rebo's fleet, who were quickly discovered near the inlet at the southern end of Anastasia Island. This time, 134 Frenchmen were executed, including Rebo himself. To this day, The inlet and river separating Anastasia Island from mainland Florida is known as montanzas, meaning slaughters in Spanish. Aside from a brief 20-year period during the mid-1700s, the Spanish Empire controlled Florida For two and a half centuries, utilizing St. Augustine as not only a base for expanding their colony, but also as a refuge for Spanish ships traveling to and from the Caribbean and Gulf of Mexico. And after the United States acquired Florida from the Empire and the Adams O'Neill Treaty of eighteen twenty one the American government saw a similar need to protect its shores and grow its ports. So it quickly invested in the illumination of its new coastline through the construction of a series of modern lighthouses, one of which that would be located on the northern end of Anastasia Island, about 20 miles from the site of the brutal massacre that secured Florida for Spain almost 300 years before. The St. Augustine Lighthouse that stands today was the second to be built on Anastasia Island by the United States government. Construction lasted from 1871 to 1874 to replace its predecessor from five decades prior as it deteriorated from coastal erosion and weather-related decay. The new, now iconic 165-foot tower is striped with black and white spiral bands and topped with a red lantern, following the age-old tradition of giving lighthouses unique colors and patterns to distinguish them as landmarks for navigation. As early as 1565, the Spanish had utilized wooden watchtowers and beacons in the area. So when the United States government searched for a location for the original St. Augustine Lighthouse, it chose the site of a Spanish tower from 1737. And by May of 1824, construction was complete and the new American lighthouse was lit. Juan Andreo was given the assignment to be the first keeper of this lighthouse and he, like many early lighthouse keepers, was sometimes referred to as wickies, a reference to their job trimming the wicks. Other tasks required of these men was everything from replenishing oil, which they would lug up the tall stairways, to routine maintenance like cleaning and polishing lenses and windows, cranking and lubricating the clockworks, and most importantly of all, lighting the wicks at night and extinguishing the flame during the day. Andreo was paid $350 a year for his services, which he continued for two decades living on site with his family. But Andreo's place in history is much larger than his appointment at St. Augustine's Lighthouse. He is also considered to be the first Hispanic American to not only serve in the United States Coast Guard, but also to oversee a federal installation of any kind. Andreo was born in 1774. His parents, Antonio and Aguera, came to Florida as indentured servants with a group of about 1,400 from Menorca, an island off the coast of Spain in the Mediterranean Sea. It was from this group that many of the early Spanish lighthouse keepers came, and Juan would not be the last. Andreo's cousin, Joseph, or Jose, was one of those men. And it was during Jose's tenure when the St. Augustine Lighthouse received its first upgrade, which not only extended its height by over 50 feet, but also improved its source of light. Initially, lamps in the tower burned lard oil. The flame's luminescence was then extended and focused with silver reflectors. But in 1855, the St. Augustine Lighthouse was fitted with a fourth order Fresnel lens, which would not only improve the lighthouse's range, but also make a tremendous impact on minimizing many maintenance issues. Unfortunately, Jose's term only lasted for five years, ending in tragedy. On December 5th, 1859, the St. Augustine Examiner reported that while painting the tower, a scaffolding failed, and Jose Andreo fell 60 feet to his death. Following the tragedy, Andreo's wife, Maria Mestra de los Dolores, took over for her late husband and was officially appointed by the United States government, making her the first female employee of the United States Coast Guard. But her fame also lies in her actions after the Civil War broke out. Florida was the third state to secede from the Union on January 10, 1861, and when word made its way to the city of St. Augustine, the people celebrated. But by March of 1862, Union marines landed on the shores of the city, entirely unopposed. Yet the majority of citizens still supported the Confederacy, including Maria. Who, under orders of the Confederate States Secretary of the Navy, removed the lens and clockworks from the St. Augustine Lighthouse in an attempt to disrupt Union shipping lanes. Paul Arnault, Superintendent of Lighthouses and future Mayor of St. Augustine, assisted along with several other men from the community. However, Union troops quickly caught up with him Sequestering the Confederate sympathizer offshore on the Union gunboat Isaac Smith until he finally revealed the location of the missing equipment. But after the darkening of the St. Augustine Lighthouse, Maria never returned. By 1870, coastal erosion began threatening the sustainability of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. So construction began on a new, more modern tower, the one which still stands today. Hezekiah H. Petit was assigned to oversee the construction, but funding issues delayed its completion, and by 1873... Only 42 and a half feet of the tower had been built, the same year in which Petit would suffer a tremendous personal tragedy. On July 10th, 1873, Petit's four children an African-American playmate whose name went undocumented were playing in a supply cart meant to carry construction materials unfortunately the cart broke loose and plummeted into the water Petit's youngest children, Edward and Carrie, survived but the oldest Eliza and Mary were unable to escape in time and drowned as a result today many claim the disembodied laughter of children can be heard at the top of the St. Augustine Lighthouse laughter that has been attributed to these children whose lives were lost all too soon. But even more eerie have been the sightings of Eliza Petit's apparition who is purportedly wearing the same blue dress that she died in almost a century and a half later. Construction of the lighthouse was completed the following year. And at the time of its first lighting, the St. Augustine Lighthouse's signal could be seen for 17 miles, more than six miles past the previous tower built by the United States. Numerous improvements were made to the facility over the following decades. But by 1955 the St. Augustine Lighthouse was fully automated, no longer requiring the services of a full-time keeper. But the legacy of some of the men who lived on Anastasia Island and the service of the lighthouse still lives on. And many believe their spirits remain as well. Aside from the typical reports of locked doors and missing items, it has been frequently reported by staff and guests alike that the smell of cigars waved through the air without cause, thought to be a remnant of the lighthouse's longest-serving keeper, Peter Rasmussen, a man who was, quote, known for his meticulous eye and watchful manner as well as a deep love for his cigars. Rasmussen retired in 1924 after 41 years of government service, 23 of which were spent in St. Augustine. But while he may have left the St. Augustine Lighthouse, the smell of his vice has purportedly remained. Many also believe that Joseph Andreo remains as well. And although the lighthouse that he serviced was eventually taken by coastal erosion, its ruins, now a submerged archaeological site, many claim that his apparition still appears, often on top of the newer St. Augustine Lighthouse Tower, whose construction did not even begin for over a decade after his untimely death. Nevertheless, many claim Andreo's spirit continues performing his duties almost two centuries after falling to his death in the line of duty. In 1994, the St. Augustine Lighthouse was opened to the public as a museum with the mission to preserve not only local maritime history and the lighthouse itself, but also to tell the story of one of the nation's oldest ports. Visitors to the historic structure can now tour the facility following in the footsteps of lighthouse keepers of the past, climbing the 219 steps to the apex of the structure, where its original Fresnel lens remains today. But the haunted reputation of this lighthouse has greatly assisted in its popularity as a tourist destination. It has been featured on numerous television programs, Documentaries and the non profit St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum is well aware of this draw, offering nighttime tours and ghost hunts for those who dare explore the facility and climb to the top of the infamous St. Augustine Lighthouse in the dark of the night, hoping to experience a sighting or encounter one of the Lighthouse's many residents of the past. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Checksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes.
0: Lucky Lady shacks. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.
1: Hello all, Eric Rivenus with the Most Notorious Podcast here.